0: You're listening to On Human Rights, where we bring you interviews from experts around the world on the latest and most interesting trends and information on human rights and international humanitarian law. My name is Christina Yeyer, Head of Communications at the RWI, and we are broadcasting from the Institute in Lund, Sweden. Today, we're speaking to Alejandro Fuentes, Senior Researcher at the Ralf Wallenberg Institute on Human Rights Cities. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. Hello, dear Alejandro Fuentes. Welcome to this podcast on human rights cities. Hello, Cristina. Hello. So, uh, Alejandro, you're a senior researcher here at the RWI.
1: That's correct. I'm a senior researcher at the Rao Institute for Human Rights and Humanitarian Law since uh, actually more than 10 years. And... Uh, I'm working uh, on different areas of the Institute, but mostly on education and research. So my research agenda uh, is connected with uh, minority rights, indigenous people rights, with uh, the regional system for human rights protection, the the Americas, Europe, Africa human rights systems, but also with the interlinkages between SDGs and human rights. And recently, since um, one or two years, as well in connection with how those interlinkages are connected with human rights cities.
0: We discussed uh, human rights cities. One of the reasons we discussed that is that uh, there was this World Human Rights Cities Forum taking place early October, and you participated in that forum.
1: Exactly. That has been a wonderful experience since... um, Last year, RWI has been present in uh, the World Human Rights City Forum, collaborating on the organization of the forum, not only in connection with organizational matters, but as well in order to introduce uh, capacity development components for uh, state officials, municipal officials, and in order to push the research agenda regarding human rights cities within the forum. In fact, I've been responsible since last year of the paper session Human Rights Cities paper session within the forum, with a very successful outcome since uh, last year. We have every year a flow of uh, papers touching upon different aspects of how human rights cities uh, are relevant for the implementation of human rights and the achievement of the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals.
0: We will come back to the the forum uh, a little later on. But uh, if we start from the beginning, what would you say the definition of a human rights city is?
1: Well, there is no particular definition of human rights cities because we need to understand human rights cities as a movement, as a conceptual visualization of how cities could be perceived and could organize themselves uh, with the goal of facilitating the implementation of human rights. So if we need to conceptualize, how uh, human rights cities are or how how we can understand them, I will say is the, is a mix of processes and substantive components that cities put in place in order to facilitate the implementation and the enjoyment of human rights at local level processes regarding the decision making and the delivery of services but also the content of those services how the services are incorporated in themselves the human rights standards, for example, connected with right to food, water, sanitation, health, housing, education, which are all services that cities provide, but which are based on human rights standards on on hard human rights law. And therefore, without the cities, individuals will have a very difficult in, in having access to those services and the enjoyment of those rights.
0: But what does it mean in practice then for a city to become a human rights city?
1: For example, human rights, for us, for scholars, is very easy to understand. They are standards that are made by consensus at the international level. So states agree among themselves in uh, different venues, in conference, in general, convened by the United Nations, and they agree on... What are those essential rights connected with human dignity, with the dignity of a human being? And of course, you have right to life, freedom of election, right to vote, right to health, right to education, right freedom of movement, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, how those rights that are agreed at the international level, which also exists at regional level on regional conventions, for example, the European Convention of Human Rights, or at national level? within the constitutional framework of each country. But how cities connect with those rights? Well, those rights has a content that need to be protected and fulfilled by state authorities. But the question is, which state authorities? If a state a treaty, for example, a covenant, civil and political rights, or economic, social, and cultural rights, who are the state authorities that deliver the necessary frameworks that will facilitate the enjoyment of those rights. Well, if education is a municipality competence, then those state authorities are the local authorities. If the right to health depends of the competence of local authorities, then there are the local authorities, the ones that need to facilitate the enjoyment and the fulfilling of that right. Otherwise, it will be a violation of the individual's uh, rights by state authorities, regardless if they are sitting at the local level or at the national level. In other words, cities have human rights obligations because they are state authorities. And in particular, because they are the responsible ones to deliver the access to services. So in delivering that access to service, they need to not only pay attention, but also include the mechanisms and the content that will Lead toward the realization of those fundamental rights. Again, as example, right to education, right to um, food, housing, sanitation, clean water, etc. etc.
0: Is there any way I, as a citizen, can notice clearly how my city is involved in trying to fulfill these obligations? How do I know that my city is striving to become a human rights city?
1: That's an excellent question, Christina, because. In general, these um, conceptual frameworks are discussed in a very small group, among a very small group of persons or policymakers. How citizens could be involved in this process? Well, if a city is interested in being a human rights city, or is in the process to be, or it has declared itself as a human rights city, because it's important to understand that there, there is no international accreditation for cities. There is no an accreditation system that will give the recognition to a city as a human rights city. Cities themselves declare themselves that they are committed to the, what is understood as a human rights city. But then how that could change the life of a normal citizen? Well, for example, if in your neighborhood, uh, the city is intended to build a new tram line, as it happening here in Lune where I live and just a couple of meters from uh, my house. Lund City has declared itself as a human rights city. The first city uh, two years ago, human rights city in Sweden. What does it mean to be a human rights city in that particular situation? Well, that the city before deciding to introduce the tram line that will change my life in my neighborhood, because we'll change the dynamic on the places where I play with my kids, with the places that are circulating, with the places that I cycling, it will consult me. It will create spaces of participation, because citizens, they have the right to participate. It's a human right. They will not only deliver information regarding that process before the process has been decided upon, but also include the citizens in the decision-making process beyond their representative. We know that democracies are representative democracies. We, with democracies, we elect our representatives. But that does not mean that citizens should not be consulted and they do not have other spaces of participation. So a human rights city will introduce approaches that will facilitate that participation, that involvement, and will pay specific attention to the concerns of the citizens in all decision-making instances at local level.
0: We were, uh, you were referring to the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals and Agenda 2030 before, and there is one goal that is of particular interest to cities. The goal number 11, if I understand it right. Exactly.
1: Sustainable cities and communities. So for for those that are interested in sustainable development goals, they can visit the United Nations page on sustainable development goals. Now in the time of uh, pandemic, so that we are observing social distancing, uh, you will find all the information online. So goals 11, uh, focus on make cities and human settlements inclusive, safe, resilient and sustainable. What does it mean in practice? Well, inclusive, the cities are for all. So how do we include? First of all, by not discriminating We know that the right of uh, be free from discrimination, uh, or the non-discrimination and equality rights, are essential components of all human rights instruments. So well, if the city would like to be inclusive, and a percentage of individuals living in the cities live with disabilities, for example, where the city will go in order to develop plans that will include uh, citizens that are living with disabilities. Well, the city will look at the Convention on the Right of a Person with Disabilities that, for instance, has been ratified by, by Sweden, and the general comments delivered by the Committee on, uh, of the Convention on the, the Right of Person with Disabilities that develop guidelines and principles on how to include individuals living with disabilities in daily life, in uh, wherever they live, and in order to not discriminate discriminate them at work and within social life. A clear example of that, for example, are the physical barriers. Cities, because our settlements do not came from nowhere, they, they came through historical developments. And of course, 200, 300 years ago, human rights did not exist as we understand them today. And therefore, many cities were not accessible for persons with disabilities staircases, different levels. So then how cities could still preserve the historical heritage of those 300, 400 years, especially here in Europe, of of wonderful architectonical design, but making them accessible to persons with disability. That's a challenge that if cities is committed to human rights cities, will embrace and try to deliver in order to make sure the cities are inclusive to all. But also as well for children, make makes cities safe. For example, our, we can ask ourselves if our green areas are safe for children to play, safe from the dangers of traffic, safe from the dangers of unfortunately crime or other kind of human interactions. Are cities the same? But also in connection with climate change, Are our cities healthy, the the air that we we breathe in our cities are free from pollution, or does the air has an acceptable level of contamination and pollution that will not harm substantially our health? And remember, right to health is a human right. So the sustainable development goals is connected with the enjoyment of human rights. In fact, Uh, If we look at the targets that has been developed in order to measure achievability of those goals, most of those targets refer to specific rights that are connected with the goal. And uh, goal 11 is not an exception in that sense.
0: What about the other goals, all of the other goals? I mean, of course, some cities are aiming at uh, achieving or uh, letting themselves be guided by the SDGs. So how do they um, benefit from the SDGs vis-a-vis human rights? What's the connection between SDGs and human rights?
1: So let's, uh, for example, take the, the, most, um, the most well-known goal, sustainable development goal, no poverty, leaving no one behind. So SDG number one is no poverty. So eradicate poverty. Can cities contribute to that. Poverty in itself is not a human rights per se. So there is no human rights not to be poor. But being poor will diminish the possibilities of a person to enjoy all other human rights because of the lack of opportunities. Therefore, preventing poverty or eradicating poverty is a way to enjoy, facilitate the enjoyment of human. The same zero hunger. Well, that's connected directly with the right, to, right to food. So SDGs are goals that set up an agenda for policymakers at all levels: national level, regional level, or provincial level, and. Municipal or local levels to develop their policies in a way that will facilitate life on Earth in a sustainable manner. And of course, uh, eradication of poverty, non hunger, good health and well being, quality education, gender equality all of those goals will facilitate life on Earth in a sustainable manner, will allow us humans to stay in this planet in a sustainable manner and continue developing ourselves. So it's, in the, it's an agenda for developing human beings and human societies. But it's not an agenda for the implementation of human rights per se. States, on one side, they adopt hard standards that need to be respected because they are connected with the dignity of the human being. And those are the human rights. And we have uh, nine core human rights instruments. Among those, the rights of a child, the CEDAW convention, or the for the elimination of discrimination against women, the right of a person with disabilities, civil and political rights, economic and social rights, etc., etc. So those are hardcore rights that need to be respected, respected by state authorities. And then we have the SDGs, which are an agenda that set up goals that state authorities voluntarily decided to achieve because they are conducive in order to facilitate the life of human beings, of human societies on earth in a sustainable manner. For example, by developing clean water and sanitation or affordable and clean energy. How affordable and clean energy facilitate the enjoyment of human rights or create conditions for the enjoyment of human rights? Well, that is a um, a matter of interpretation that state authorities need to do by incorporating human rights-based approaches. So extended the hard court obligations within their political agenda, be within the sustainable goal agenda. That agenda shall not be disconnected with human rights because otherwise will not facilitate their enjoyment of and the fulfilling of those obligations that are binding obligations by state authorities. And that is a challenge in itself. And here we come back, and with this I will I will finish with this, uh, this part of our interview. We come back to the Wanzhou Forum on Human Rights Cities because part of the call of papers precisely tried to address the linkages between human rights and SDGs at local level. And some of the papers that were discussed and presented in that forum precisely highlighted the challenges that local authorities face when implementing the SDGs. Because it's not very clear how, for example, as, you, as, as your question were indicated, how state authorities, when pursuing affordable and clean energy, make sure that they also fulfill their obligations which are binding obligations connected with human rights. So, and that is a, that is a clear element, where a clear component that we need more research, and therefore, in order to understand precisely and to facilitate the activity of policymakers in developing their agendas with respect of human rights. So, places like the World Human Rights City Forum or other research-based environments are most welcome because they will help us to understand how this could be integrated in a way that both human rights and SDGs could be implemented and achieved for the benefit of the human being.
0: You uh, talked about the human rights-based approach before as a bridge between uh, the Sustainable Development Goals and human rights. Would you like to elaborate a little bit on that?
1: That's an excellent, excellent question. And, And again, a lot has been said in the scholarly papers in, uh, at the UN level on human rights-based approach. UN has a very foundational paper on human, rights, uh, human rights-based approach for development, which I recommend all to read. But human rights-based approach is more than that. And I will put my emphasis on the word approach, because observance of human rights obligation is not an approach. That's a legal binding obligation by state authority. When a state shall not deprive a person of the right to life arbitrarily, and here there is a chapter of the penalty, but we will not enter into that, that is a hardcore obligation. The state shall not infringe that right, shall respect it, promote it, and fulfill it. And that's not an approach. It's the fulfillment of an obligation. But then, what is the approach? Well, one thing is to fulfill a hard hardcore obligation, and the other thing is to heal the rest of the political agenda of state authorities by using those of human rights obligations as a guiding principle. For example, when deciding how to divide the budget between the different ministries, shall we give all the budget, the national budget, to the defense minister and develop the most awesome weaponry that technology could deliver? Or shall we take some part of that budget and give it to the Ministry of Social Welfare in order to provide a new housing plan for those that can barely pay their rent every month. That is a political decision that not necessarily is informed by the hardcore human rights obligation. But by extending that obligation to the other areas of the governance, state authorities could take decisions that will further facilitate the enjoyment of the rights of individuals within their jurisdictions. And that is what I call a human rights-based approach. To, in every single political decision that state authorities need to take, but also private enterprises, they can also have a human rights-based approaches. state authorities could make a decision that facilitate or not the enjoyment and fulfilling of human rights obligations. If they don't take a decision that facilitates, maybe they will not violate their violations, but they miss a chance, the chance to further develop the enjoyment of human rights in their jurisdictions. That's why human rights-based approach is so important in connection with SDGs, because SDGs entail plenty of decisions by public authorities. And in each of those decisions, they can either keep in mind and be guided by human rights principles or put them aside and then not make a favor to the enjoyment of the rights in their jurisdictions. So that's why it's so important to keep the approach. Everywhere they go, they will approach their responsibilities by further developing human rights principles and and values.
0: Thank you very much, Alejandro. Is there anything I've forgotten to ask you of importance that you would like to mention before we conclude,
1: I will say that we can uh, conclude this uh, this dialogue by inviting all our colleagues, those that are interested to the the work that uh, the Raoul Wallenberg Institute does across the world, but also those that just follow our our activities to join, uh, wherever they they are in their professional capacities, to join the discussion, to join the dialogue, because. Uh, the realization of SDGs and the enjoyment of human rights is not just a matter of public authorities. All of us, we can contribute in our own capacities to facilitate a better understanding of how that fulfillment should uh, take place. So to my fellow researchers and, and academic colleagues, Please join us in this discussion, and you will be more welcome to perhaps be the next interviewee in our podcast, Human Rights Series. What do you think, uh, Christine?
0: That sounds like an excellent idea, I think. Join the conversation, talk more about human rights and the work that we do across the world. Thank you so much, Alejandro, for participating today. You're welcome. That was Alejandro Fuentes, senior researcher at the Raoul Wallenberg Institute in Lund. And this has been on human rights. For more information and the latest updates on Raoul Wallenberg's Institute's work, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you for listening.